This episode first ran in December 2022, and I'm giving it another go here because the guest on this episode is Simone Caporale. He's coming to Sydney next week as part of the Maybe Cocktail Festival, of which Boothby is a media partner. And Simone is the bartender and owner behind Sips in Barcelona, which last year landed the number three slot on the world's 50 best bars list. Next week on Friday the 14th of April, you can find Simone guesting at Maybe Sammy from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. And if you're in Sydney, I strongly encourage you to pay him a visit. It'll be great. You can check out the full schedule of the Maybe Cocktail Festival at the aptly named maybecocktailfestival.com. I mean, that makes sense, right? There is eight days of bar takeovers by some of the world's best bars, 22 bars in total, if you include the six Australian bars taking part too. It's huge, it's free to attend. There are masterclasses by the bars on Sunday the 16th. I've never seen anything like it in Australia before. The caliber of guests the Maybe Group has brought over here is insane. And there's perhaps none more highly regarded than Simone Caporale. Okay, so let's get into it now. My chat with Simone Caporale. Welcome to Drinks at Work by Boothby with Sam Bygrave, that's me. This is a show about how you can go about building a creative and rewarding career in and around the world of drinks. We've had a few weeks off the podcast as we were in production for the first Boothby Drink of the Year Awards at the end of November. It was a great success, but we're back now with episode number 29. We've got a couple of great episodes coming up to close out 2022. Thank you to all of you who have listened and shared the podcast. The reception has been great and I'm very humbled by the response. Thank you again. Now, we've had some big names from both Australia and abroad this year on the podcast, and this week's episode is another big one. Simone Caporale is my guest today. When we talk about creative careers in and around the world of drinks, it doesn't get much more creative than Simone. He was an instrumental part of the team at the Artesian in London in the early 2010s, and along with Alex Gretenia there, saw the bar named number one on the world's 50 best bars list for four times in a row. Uh, he's also won a number of accolades, consulted on brands, and most recently opened his own bar, Sips, in Barcelona. So there's a lot to talk about with him. This is one of my favorite chats of the year. Let's get into my chat now with Simone Caporale. Okay, Simone, thanks for joining me on Drinks at Work from Boothby. Ciao, Sam, how you doing? <laughs> I'm very well. We'll see how this delay goes, but uh, I'm talking to you, it must be, it's what, 2 a.m. or so in Barcelona? It's uh, 3 a.m. It's okay. almost uh, breakfast time for bartenders. <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. All right, so setting the table, you do a few different things uh, in your day-to-day career. A recent headline asked if you were the busiest bartender in the world. Uh, what? Thinking about that then, what does your typical week look like for you? Is there such a thing as a typical week? Well, my typical week is like a typical month for a uh, <laughs> for some of my friends, because, uh, well, generally the day starts around 10 a.m. for me, where I try to wake up uh, <laughs> and uh, and I'm on the track from 11.30 in the morning. And uh, the bar doesn't open until 6.30 p.m. in the afternoon. But in those uh, approximately seven hours, we do what you can do during the service, which means uh, planning for the next month, the events that we are involved with, talking about the Formula One, talking about the Amaro Santoni, the uh, uh, Amazon Forest project with Can I Imagine, of course, the art of shaking, Muyu Liqueurs. And then we recently, uh, we're about to open a, a second part of SIPS in Barcelona, which will be called Essencia. So every day, these seven hours are vital because at 6.30 when the bars open, uh, we are full on in service. I mainly stay at the door. And, uh, you finish off, well, 
not every night I'm I'm having nice chat <laughs> with the with friends like you, but still we go to sleep around four thirty in the morning. Mm. So we have those like a six hours, five hours thirty of sleep every day. Uh, this is my day, or this is my week, <laughs> and uh, it's what it is. You know, you need to, you need to choose the path you wanted to choose and uh, go for it. It's it's hard. Well, every job is hard, uh, in my opinion. But if you love what you do, it would be less hard. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you can tolerate those uh, late nights and the, the lack of sleep that little bit more. So get to your let's get to your origin story a bit before Sips and before the Artesian. How did you come to be a bartender in the first place? What was it that drew you to this world? Well, everything started at the age of 16 when you are bored, you don't know what to do during the school break in the summer, summer break. Mm. And uh, well, I'm from a very small town, very small village in the north of it in Lake Como, which is a beautiful place uh, as a, for a touristic point of view. But back in the in the late 90s or early 2000s, there were there weren't many things to do for locals, especially for teenagers. And all you could do was playing football or swimming on the lake or eventually smoke weed. <laughs> uh, I've never been good at football. I think I I swam in the lake five times in my life. I've never been a I've never been a big fan of 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 of, of, of uh, <laughs> narcotics or whatever you want to call. So I I asked to get a job as a as a as a pot washer as, as a glass washer in in a discotheque in a bar. And my during the summer break, my my first month of work was cleaning toilets, pick up dirty glasses around the dance floor, um, washing them, pile up or stock up the, the, the glass shelves behind the bar as a barbecue, pretty much. Mm. But not even that. I was I was just doing glassware and toilets. I wasn't needed. I wasn't touching a lemon or a lime or, or a fruits <laughs> or, or, or uh, I wasn't free enough fridge neither. That's how I started. And then little by little, I got, I get to do more things behind the bar, mm. still cleaning toilets. And uh, and that's how everything started. And today, guess what? I'm still collecting glasses, <laughs> um, take care of the bathroom sometimes where we we there's some crisis in the bar. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so we're stuck in a time machine. <laughs> well, so after those many years, you've gone nowhere. That's good to hear. Um, <laughs> how would you describe your approach to bartending? Uh, do you have a philosophy behind what you like to do in sips, night in, night out? I yes, I think that any one of us have a philosophy, and through the years, through the time, through the experience, that philosophy it might go through a certain mutation or metamorphosis, which is which is normal, and and it should be like that. So my mm. today met, uh, philosophy is um, express yourself in the best way you can through what you do uh, at in the, in our case in the bar and can be partially related to a drink, can be partially related to how you make people feel uh, and how you treat people. Um, ultimately, you know, and this is a, this is a, these statistics are true, uh, the way you make people feel will eventually change the taste of the cocktail you're preparing for them. So uh, it's very important to stay focused on what the, the flavor is all about, very important. But ultimately, the human values or how, how, how people feel in your around you, next to you, is is also the main ingredient of a cocktail, and that's my today philosophy, I would say, and uh, which hasn't changed much over the last few years. But ultimately, it's 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the artesian and the success that you and, and Alex had there, um, that I think it came around at a certain time in the world where we were getting more connected on social media. There was the age of Instagram and some of the drinks there just, I think, probably really appealed on Instagram and that kind of thing. What was it that made the artesian special to you? And why do you think it was such a success? Well, first of all, in, back in the, in those uh, those years, uh, it seems like 20 years ago, but it's not, it's like 10 years ago, <laughs> yeah. um, the power of the social media was way weaker, weak, more, 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 less relevant that, than today. Mm. And, um, and ultimately, you know, uh, we were lucky enough to have a management that was a complete uh, lost. They didn't know what to do, so they gave us complete freedom. <laughs> but at the same time, we have nobody to tell us what not to do, you know? So we, we learn mm. uh, at our own expense, expenses, let's say, what to do, what not to do behind the bar. Yeah. But uh, I think it was a time where there were still quite a few solid uh, paradigm in the bar industry or in the bar world, especially in the hotels, in the hotel bars, in the five-star hotel bar, they, they tend to be still very classic back then. So the fact that you could serve a pink cocktail, the fact that you could serve a slushy cocktail in a hotel bar and charge crazy money about with, about it, or to suspend the cocktail through a fishnet uh, and, and wrap it around someone's hand, that was the, 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 and it was the apocalypse back then. Um, and it was a moment when gimmicky things were not gimmicky yet, right? Yeah. So it was a very fragile, small segment of time because three or four years is nothing for a consumer's mm. point of view, right? But things were not gimmicky yet. Mm. So they could still they could still be considered elegant. So nowadays, if you do, let's say, a cocktail with dry ice, there are people that they've seen this million times, unless you go perhaps to a to a remote part of the world, but it's considered something new. But ten years ago, uh, mm. perhaps was slightly different. And uh, but still, still back then, I still receive a periodically message from our uh, old clients. And I said, Simone, I, I never, and I, I don't, forget, I don't remember what you gave me to drink. But I will never forget how you make me feel. And once again, we go back to the hospitality point of view. Mm. And it's something that you need to have inside of you. You need to. It's something you cannot touch, but you can only feel it, and that you can only make people feel about it. Um, and the hospitality, how you make people feel. And uh, please, 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 I say this to every my, to all of my colleagues. Uh, always imagine. Mm to be in someone else's shoes when they enter in your place. Mm. How, how are they going to feel about it, you know? And I remind this to myself every day, every every minute since the bar opened. Before we get on to sips, what was the big what was the big lesson that you got from the artesian? What what was the sort of big overarching kind of thing that you took away from that experience? But the big lesson is uh, you don't have to be scared to make certain changes, knowing in advance that you cannot please everyone. Mm. You can't please everyone. And and also at the same time, um, for example, in our culture in Italy, uh, we grew up with that uh, 
constant uh, awareness of uh, wait for someone else approval, approval or wait for someone else comment yeah. uh, to consider something right or wrong. And that's absolutely not true. I think you should do what you feel inside of your chest, in the middle of your chest, you know? Yeah. Uh, trying to be the most genuine as possible um, is a very humble job, so you should always keep your feet on the ground. Uh, we deal with the... We deal with the... Every person that comes in is different. You never know who you have in front. You never know uh, if, if if guests are, might be sensitive to something or more fragile to other, other things. So... Uh, what I really learned or what it took with me is that um, we are lucky enough to do this this profession uh, because most of the decision can be still taken with the heart. Mm. And instead, if you work in a bank, you need to follow a, a, a stiff protocols. And the beauty of, of hospitality that no matter how protocols you must follow, you will always have to have a plan B. And most of the time, this is, is, is uh, it's dictated by what you feel and what, people feel about it right so would you say that you're a just on that protocol notion are you kind of a structure guy someone who likes structure or do you kind of not like structure at all and you like to come at things in a different way no 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 no. structure is super important structure is what is is the basement is the foundation of a building think about a building you need a foundation right and then you got all the floors with different windows and different Mm. balconies not different apartments some of those leave the lights on at night. Some of those leave the window open or the shutters uh, open yeah. or closed, you know. And, uh, and, that's, and that's what I call uh, every foundation, but be prepared to a plan B or, or C or D or eventually the entire alphabets of plans. <laughs> but the foundation is what should never change. Okay, I like that. You gotta be flexible in the bar, in the, in the in the hospital industry. Yeah. So tell me about Sips and about the decision to why open in Barcelona and not some other city. Well, Barcelona for 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 three reasons. I always I always like to say these three reasons. Um, sometimes when you want to be sarcastic, uh, the reason why hmm. we opened the bar in Barcelona because of the three most important things for humanity: great food, art. And sex is a joke. Is a joke. Is a joke. Is a joke. Uh, the reason why we decide to open in Barcelona is because is a is a is a it's enough international city to make things happen and to have a a, a well mixed uh, type of audience that can really appreciate details, different culture. First, mm. second, it's by the sea, and uh, uh, wherever you are by the sea. People are, uh, tends to be happier or tends to be a little bit more chilled. <laughs> I like that. Or more, yeah. you know, more, more, more happy. Yeah. And the third reason, the, the financial reason, because the city is still human when it comes to making investment. So even younger person, like younger people like us, uh, with, with a little saving, they can still open their bar dreams. To do an example, the location we are in Barcelona compared to a similar location in central London, where I'm, where mm. I'm professionally coming from. Uh, here in Barcelona, in Sips, the rent is six, seven times cheaper than London. Mm. But what, what, what's funny is that we still charge the same price that you would charge in London. So you need to find a, a, enough international place if you want to make an international bar, but the numbers are really important. Numbers are really important. And I saw that you've... Also taken over Boadas cocktails, is that true? 
So, and, and what are your plans there? Can you explain for people who don't know what Boatis is? Yes. You know, a little bit about it. Yeah, well, uh, my love for Barcelona started 11 years ago. I came here as a tourist. I was walking in La Ramblas, which is one of the main roads that all the tourists walk through. And uh, I found myself into a small bar at Vina Martini without knowing the existence of this bar. And it he, and he happens to be Boadas. Um, mm. And that day, there was still, it, she wasn't working there anymore. Maria Dolores Boadas was the first uh, bar lady of Spain. I remember she was uh, quite ill, but every day she was going to the bar and sitting at the bar counter. And uh, they told me she this she's a, she's the owner of Boada, she's the first uh, bar lady of Spain. So I introduced myself and say I'm Simone, I'm a bartender, it's my first time here. And she could barely speak, but then she had Alzheimer, but she still gave me a, a caress on, on my cheeks. And uh, that was my first hour in Barcelona. I fell in love with the bar and and years later, I get to know the, the the current owner after she passed away. She didn't have any 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 children, so she she gave a, as a heritage the bar mm. to the first bartender ever worked with her, Geronimo. Today is my business partner, and we get to know each other, Geronimo and I, over the last six years. And then one day, I said, Simone, I'm, I really would like you to take over Boadas. I don't want to give it to other people. I I really wish that someone like you can carry on the, the place as it should be or even better or make it shine a little bit more. And uh, so uh, four months ago, uh, we acquired the majority of Boadas. Uh, Geronimo is still, in, is still uh, involved in the business uh, oh, good. As, a, as, a, as a partner. He's not working behind the bar anymore. He's 66 years old. Now we have a full uh, new team. And for the first time in the history of Boadas, there's a, there's a second bar lady, finally. <laughs> <laughs> working in Boadas because since the time Marie Dolores passed away she she said that she didn't want to see any other lady behind the bar she was very jealous about obviously she came from a different generation of people and uh, <laughs> and said no 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 this you know it's that. important this place gave birth to the very first bar lady of Spain and we must keep this heritage to give the chance to more and more and more colleagues uh, that they want to become a bartender, uh, they deserve a, a place like Boadas to, to start a new career. And it's, it's a beautiful bar from the 1933. Not many things have changed. You still drink the same daiquiris that was brought here from Cuba in, uh, 90 years ago, you know. Uh, original glasses from the 1960s. It's a, it's a beautiful jewel. It's, it's 25 square meter bar. A car do not fit there, but you still make 400 cocktails every day. <laughs> Yeah, yes, but I've been lucky enough to go to Boadas a couple of times now, and it's just, it's a really special place in the universe, I think. So it's wonderful that it's going to keep going. Uh, let me ask you about the art of shaking. This is your subscription training program. Yes. Why why did you want to do this in the first place? It's because it's quite a big undertaking. Yes, uh, it's, it's a very simple reason why, Sam. I've been doing uh, master classes in bar shows, trade shows, cocktail schools over the last. 11, 10 years, nine years, let's say. And I noticed that the format has never changed, which means people sit in front of you. Some of those are on the first row. Some of those are on the last row. And they get to see what they get to see. Some of them take pictures or video or take notes. And uh, and then the next day I asked myself, what did really stay in these people's mind apart from what, they, what, what they've seen or what they try to remember? And I said, I don't think this is the right 
way to carry on doing things when it comes to sharing information, at least from my side. So I said, I'm not going to do any more live masterclasses in, in trade shows, uh, in cocktail schools, where generally it's, it's inside of the human nature to lose the attention after one or two hours. That's normal. And instead, we start to record in a super high quality a different topic, different um, courses with episode that people can watch and rewatch and rewatch all the time they want. But knowing the fact that the market mm. is really saturated mm. or basics uh, or basic or, or all the same, they all, they all look the same, these cocktail courses, we decide not to do a course about how to make cocktails, instead how to think cocktails, how to, 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 to develop uh, what we call the systematic creativity. It's the system that we use every day at SIPS to generate new information, new cocktails or menu or concept for your bar, for a consultancy project, for an event and so on. And basically we translate our creativity into this uh, seven hour course in different episodes The people can watch, take a break, practice at the bar, come back to the screen, watch more or repeat the same things on and on and on and on and on. And uh, we receive messages every day of colleagues from all over the world who said, Simone, thank you so much. This, uh, this program literally opened my eyes about things that I never thought about. And it's a course that you don't see how to make a mojito, how to steal a Negroni. No, forget about it. We go through 22 different techniques, as far as I remember. Uh, they, we use the systematic creativity to develop uh, unlimited, unlimited examples of menus or cocktail menus and uh, techniques I mentioned and how to make cocktails starting from zero. Uh, and the best, what really, what really this platform will tell you that if you want to carry on bartending, stop thinking with the mind of a bartender because the, the classic idea are already saturated. I'm not talking about the classic cocktail, I'm talking about the ideas being generated so far with the bartender point of view. Well, I've got two more questions for you and then we'll wrap up. Some, just some basic advice for bartenders who are starting out, who are wanting to get creative. Where should they, what, how should they approach that task? Is there, you know, do you go read books? Do you go do these training kind of programs? What, what should you do? Yes. Well, uh, Rome wasn't built in a day and, uh, and bartending requires practice, practice and practice. So what I, what I, what I truly suggest is do not burn the course in three days. People text me, hey, Simone, I love it. I watched it in one go. I said, no, no, no. Mm. It's like to read the university book in one week. You need to stop, take a break, <laughs> make a reflection about what you just understood. Try, try, do test. So that course is available. The subscription is valid for one year. You have a 12 months to, to go through it. Not necessarily you need to take 12 months. You can do it in six months, yeah. in five months. But do not rush because the speed of learning not always is the, is the, is, it's, it's, it's what marks your quality or your experience. Take the time. Take the time to make mistakes. That's the best way to learn. Make mistakes. You know? What is it about your own personal qualities that you think have set you up for this kind of career? Because you've done so many different uh, aspects of bartending and the drinks world. I mean, I haven't even asked you about the Formula One thing. Uh, you've, you've done so much. What is it about you that has set you on this path? I think that uh, in the hospitality industry, no matter what you do, uh, I think you develop an, uh, an extra sense of adaptation, which means that you must be available to adapt your, 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 uh, 
experience uh, to the environment you are working with. And uh, what do you, what does he have in common, mm. a bartender with Formula One? Think about nothing. There's, there's alcohol involved, you know, there's a driving, but obviously, ultimately, you learn how to host mm. people. You learn how to design flavor, be inspired about something. And then that flavor suddenly can turn into a texture, a texture, not any flavor anymore, or it can turn into a way to serve other things. And that's beautiful because unfortunately, these things you don't get to learn them in a in a in a traditional hospitality school, you know. And sometimes when I when I explain people what I do, people mm. don't get it. Say, Are you a bartender? But what does he have in common? What you do with bartending? I said, nothing <laughs> and everything. That's bartending. That's it's very varied, yeah. Last question for you is what do you look for in a great bar? But more importantly, what makes you happy in a bar? In a bar, you know what makes me happy? the energy I perceive from other people. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was very young, when I was two, three, four years old, uh, I grew up in a, in a family that it wasn't perhaps the most happiest family. Therefore, since when I was very, very young, I could still sense if uh, two people had a bad day or, a, or, a, or just had a, a, a bad conversation. So, even when the place is, well, even when people are not talking to you, you can still feel how they feel. Mm. And suddenly you absorb, you receive the energy they are, they are releasing, okay? So in the good and in the bad way. So I think that I could, I developed this, uh, this uh, sense of spotting this. Therefore, what makes me happy in a bar is that place that when you enter, you feel something good in your chest. Hmm. What is that things that you feel in your chest? Is a blend of uh, the lighting, the sound, the music, uh, the aroma of the place, uh, how people greet you, uh, the, the eye contact among people, and that's what can move the entire hmm. world. That has to be one of my most favorite answers to that question I've asked. Uh, thank you very much. So, Marty, thank you for joining me on Drinks at Work, uh, and love to chat to you again. Ciao, Sam. Thanks to Simone again for the chat and thank you to you for listening. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please share them with a friend and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get yours. I really do appreciate your support. Until next time, this has been Drinks at Work from Boothby.